Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are. This is David with Mblex Test Prep. Uh, I know it's been a while. Welcome back to the Mblex Test Prep podcast. So the goal of this podcast is to prepare you to take the massage and bodywork licensing exam. We talk about all kinds of different aspects of that test and the body and massage therapy and uh, diseases and lots of stuff. Lots of fun stuff. And uh, we're going to get you prepared for the MWEX as best as we can. Um, so, of course, every episode I start with uh, with the what's new in David's world uh, segment. So, what's new? The MBLEX 2020 study guide has been released. That's one of the reasons I haven't done a podcast in a while. I've been finishing up that study guide. In addition, I've also got Kinesiology Made Easy, the fourth edition available on Amazon. So if Kinesiology is what you need to work on, that's the book to get. Get the fourth edition, the fourth edition. I also have another uh, another book, 10 Inblex Practice Tests and Flashcards, pre-made flashcards. This is the 2020 edition, brand new. I've updated some of those practice test questions and included way more flashcards than I had before. So that is that is also available. Um, and I have Pathology for Massage Therapy. The second edition has been released. That also is on Amazon. So if Pathology is what you need to work on, go pick that book up as well. Okay, so if you have any of my study guides... It would mean a lot to me if you could go on Amazon.com and review those guides for me. Reviews are how I make a living, and they, uh, they're much appreciated. So if you could go do that really quick, just find the book that you've got and leave a review of it for me. I would appreciate it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, so I'm going to take a quick break. When we get back, we will get started. Welcome back. So today we're going to talk about something that is a little interesting, if I do say so myself. We're going to talk about the different parts of the brain, and this was a requested episode. Uh, so if you have an episode that you would like to request or something you want me to talk about on the Mblex Test Prep podcast, send me an email. My email address is david at mblextestprep.com. Give me your suggestion. If I like it, if I think it's something that is useful for the Mblex, then I could very well uh, discuss it. Okay, so today we're going to talk about the parts of the brain and what they do. Okay, so the, the brain itself is part of the nervous system, of course, uh, made of nervous tissue. Neurons, of course, axons, dendrites. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about all of those at another another time when I go over uh, the individual tissues of the body. That could be another episode. I don't want to give you all the information because then I'll run out of episodes, of course. Uh, so the brain is made of nervous tissue, right? So we have uh, two divisions of the nervous system. We have the central nervous system and the peripheral 
nervous system. And in a previous episode, we talked about the peripheral nervous system, the nerves of the body, the cranial nerves and the spinal nerves. In this episode, we're going to talk about the central nervous system minus the spinal cord. We're going to talk about the brain, okay? So the brain and spinal cord are the two parts of the central nervous system, right? Everything in the center of the body in in reference to the nervous system is the central nervous system. Okay, so the brain itself can be divided into three separate parts. And there are a couple other parts that correspond to the brain that help out, but for the most part, everything is divided into these three parts. The main part, the part that you think of when you think of the brain, the big uh, grayish wrinkly looking thing, that is called the cerebrum. Okay, so the main part of the brain is the cerebrum. Below that, uh, on the on the back and the bottom of the brain is this thing. If you cut it in half, it kind of looks like cauliflower, quite a bit. That is called the cerebellum. Okay, so the cerebrum is the big part. The cerebellum is the small part on the bottom and the back of the brain. Okay, and then connecting the brain to the spinal cord itself. Well, let's see if I can just imagine the brain is like a tree, okay? And the spinal cord is the root. Um, the the brain is, you know, is the branches with all the leaves and stuff. Um, or the, the, the cerebrum, I should say, is, is the branches with the, uh, with the leaves and stuff. What is going to connect the branches to the ground? What do you think? What connects the brain, the cerebrum or the brain to the spinal cord is the brain stem. Okay, so just like a tree, the stem is going to uh, is going to branch off into all of those leaves and stuff. Just like that, the brain stem will will kind of branch off into the spinal cord, if you will, if you will as the, uh, the American dream Dusty Rhodes once said. Okay, so each one of those parts, the cerebrum, the cerebellum, and the brainstem, they all have specific parts of themselves. Well, I mean, the cerebellum, not, not too much, but the cerebrum and the brainstem definitely have other parts that make up that, those, those individual structures. Okay, So we'll start with the cerebrum, the largest part of the brain. The brain itself, the cerebrum, is split into two hemispheres, a left hemisphere and a right hemisphere, okay? So a, the, the left hemisphere, uh, it, how the brain kind of works is the, the left hemisphere will associate itself with motions and actions and things that control the right side of the body and vice versa. The right hemisphere controls the stuff on the left side of the body. So if you were to have, let's say a stroke or something on, on the left, somewhere in the left hemisphere, your, the, the part of the brain that control that is damaged, that control structures on the right might not work as well. So if you, like let's say a part of the brain that controls the motor actions of the hand on the right side. If that was damaged, you might not be able to use your right hand as much. Okay, 
So what connects those two parts together is called the corpus callosum. The corpus callosum allows those two sides, those two hemispheres to communicate. Now, some people are afflicted with uh, seizures and epilepsy and stuff like this. It's just there's too much stimulus going on in the brain a lot of times for, for people with epilepsy. So they can, they can have seizures as a result. People with really severe seizures um, have had, not everybody has this, it's just, just some people with extremely severe seizure disorders have had a procedure done where the corpus callosum is cut in half. So those two sides of the brain, they don't communicate really anymore. And it's kind of like having two separate brains. Like one side of your brain wants to do one thing while the other side of the brain wants to do the other. So you're just kind of all over the place. It works, though, in, in most cases where people stop having those severe seizures and you kind of have to the brain has a has a fun way of kind of rewiring itself to adapt to changes like having the corpus callosum cut. So it it figures out another way for those two sides to effectively communicate with one another. So you kind of have to relearn how to coordinate like just doing something like clapping. Clapping would take a lot of effort. But eventually, the brain starts to figure out how to do it. Uh, like with like with any task, you figure it out. Just like walking, talking, um, anything like riding a bike. You remember how to do that, of course. Uh, your brain figures out how to do that again. So, so that's an interesting procedure. Uh, definitely read up on it if you're if you're that into it. I suppose. Um, so the corpus callosum connects the two hemispheres of the brain together, allows them to communicate and in people with severe seizures that can be cut to eliminate the seizures but then you have to relearn how to kind of coordinate all of your actions with the with both sides of your brain okay so the cerebrum is split into lobes there are four lobes that make up the cerebrum and they're all named after the bones that you find on top of them or Vice versa, I'm not sure which came which, the bone or the lobe. Um, probably the bone came first, but you never know. Uh, so they, they just match, okay? So the four bones that make up the cranium, let's think of those, because those names match the lobes that are underneath those bones, okay? So think of your forehead. What bone is your forehead? It's in the front portion of the skull. So that is the frontal bone. Over on the side, if you have a headache, you're rubbing what muscle? Can you relieve that tension on the side of your head? The temporalis, which connects to the temporal bone. So underneath that is the temporal lobe. Okay, so we got the frontal lobe, the temporal lobe. Uh, up, up around the top, in the sides of the cerebrum, we have a pretty large lobe named after the bone directly on top of it. What do you think? It starts with a P. It means parietal. It is the parietal lobe, okay? Or parietal bone and parietal lobe. And then the back and the bottom of the cerebrum uh, corresponds to the back and the bottom of the skull, so what bone is the back and the bottom of the skull? What is that? 
know, if you said the occipital bone, well, you're right. It is the occipital bone. Of course. Of course, it's the occipital bone. Okay, so beneath the occipital bone, of course, the occipital lobe. So the four lobes that make up the cerebrum. We got the frontal lobe, the parietal lobe, the temporal lobe, and the occipital lobe. Okay, so let's talk about each one of those lobes and what they do. We'll start with the frontal lobe. That's a, that's a pretty fun lobe to talk about. Um, so do you have any idea what the frontal lobe actually does? Anybody? 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 No? All right, the frontal lobe. If you've, if you've seen... Uh, what's the movie? Uh, the Water Boy. They talk about the medulla oblongata. And what does uh, Colonel Sanders say the medulla oblongata does? Anger, jealousy, aggression. That's not actually what the medulla oblongata does. That's Those are some of the things that the frontal lobe does. So I'm not, I'm not sure why. I guess medulla oblongata is, is just a fun thing to say. Uh, so the frontal lobe basically gives us our personality, gives us our motivation, uh, our our emotions, um, lets us make make judgments and solve problems, and um, it, it's also kind of responsible for allowing us to speak and to write language, language, okay. So the frontal lobe, um, like I said, basically gives us our personality. So let's have a let's have a quick story time. Let me uh, take a swig of water here, of course, while I prepare for story time. Back in the uh, mid eighteen hundreds, in the great state of Vermont, I've never been there, but I, I hear it's wonderful this time of year. Um, there was a uh, railroad worker working on the rail tracks. His name was Phineas Gage, and, and his job was a uh, foreman working on the railroad. So basically what he did was he kind of – his job was to blow up mountains to make way for railroads to pass through so they could build a railroad going through it. Right. So how you do this is basically you dig a hole in in – something like a rock, and then you put in blasting powder, which causes the explosion. Then you put sand on top of it, and then you pack everything down with a big iron rod. It's called a tamping iron. And putting the sand on it prevents friction between the rod and the blasting powder. You don't want you don't want that to happen. So that was, that was basically his job to do all of that. Okay, so one day he's working on the railroad and something distracts him and and nobody really knows what distracted him or maybe he just forgot. But he forgot to put the sand on top of the blasting powder when he was, you know, about to pack it down. So he grabs this big metal rod. Um, It's about three feet long. Uh, I want to say circumference, maybe a few inches, three, four inches um, wide. It's a big, it's a big metal rod for sure. Uh, so he grabs this rod, and again, he forgot to use the sand. He forgot to put the sand on the blasting powder. So he gets this metal rod, he hits the blasting powder, and of course, friction occurs, and that produces heat, and heat produces an explosion. Now, 
after the ex- the explosion, um, the big metal rod was found about 80 feet away. Unfortunately, there was something between the metal rod and that 80 feet, and that was Phineas, Phineas Gage's head. So the metal rod went into his head around the uh, right underneath the zygomatic bone on the right side. I believe it was the right side. I haven't seen a picture. I can't remember. Maybe it's the left side. No, I think it was the left side. Um, the left side of his face, underneath the uh, parietal bone, or not the parietal, I'm sorry, the zygomatic bone, and went straight through the top of his head, just clean through. Now, what do you think would happen to somebody if, if that occurred? A, a huge metal rod, a three-foot-long metal rod flying through your head? Coming straight up underneath the zygomatic bone and straight out the top of your head. If you said that he passed away, you are wrong. You're wrong. He didn't die. That's pretty weird, huh? So the uh, other workers came rushing over to see what was going on, and and they saw, oh man, this is uh, this is not good. He's He's got blood everywhere and, and a big hole in his face and and man, what is going on? So they they put him on a on a carriage, take him back to his uh, to the to a cabin about a quarter mile down the road. Uh, a doctor comes and and looks at him and they didn't believe his story. He was he was actually able to talk and tell them exactly what happened. He he said that that the rod went through his head. The doctor didn't believe him because, of course, why would you believe a story like that? A rod flying through someone's head and they're alive and conscious and talking? That doesn't sound right. Until Phineas Gage stood up, vomited, and when he vomited, a a little bit of brain fell out of his head and onto the floor. Then the doctor believed him. So over the next couple weeks, Phineas Gage kind of he he was conscious and then unconscious, kind of in a coma for a little while. But eventually, he started to come to, and he lived. Now you'd think, of course, even if he didn't die right then, like later, he would surely die, of course, of his injuries. But he didn't. He he lived. Now because of where the rod entered his head and exited his head, the frontal lobe was injured, was was badly damaged. So while now, if you watch recreations of this on like YouTube or something like that, you'll it it'll make it look like it was much more dramatic than it actually was. He definitely had some personality changes. He was not able to make as many um, or solve as many problems as he could before. He was he he couldn't work on the railroad anymore after that. Just not not a safe environment for him because of his brain injury. But he did end up finding a job traveling around the country with the rod that went through his head. He got a job with the with the circus as kind of a, a sideshow act. Um, traveled around the country, eventually moved to the country of uh, Chile, I believe. 
and he lived for about 11 years after that injury. Now he did he did have some some health issues as a result. He did develop some seizures, some sort of seizure disorder uh, because of the brain injury. But I mean, he was he was a functioning person even after injuring the frontal lobe. And he, he definitely did have, like I said, some personality changes and, and inability to properly, or I don't want to say properly, effectively communicate um, some of his, his worries, his concerns with people. And, and so there were some changes that were going on with him, but it wasn't as severe as a lot of things make it seem. Okay. So he died. His body is buried in uh, San Francisco, I believe. And I, I can't believe I've never gone to see it. I'm only a few hours away from San Francisco. I got to find his grave. Uh, his head, however, is not buried with his body. His head is in a science museum. I believe it's at Harvard with the rod that went through his head, and if you want to look it up, uh, look up pictures, uh, Phineas Gage, P-H-I-N-E-A-S, uh, space, G-A-G-E, Phineas Gage, look that up. Uh, you can see his actual skull. You can see the huge hole in the top of his head that was left by the rod, and you can see the rod, the tamping iron, that went through his head. They are featured together. And if I'm ever in that part of the country, you, you absolutely know that I am going to visit that. So, uh, in story time, I hope that was, that was a fun little trip down memory lane for some of you, of course. Uh, so the frontal lobe, definitely personality, uh, speech, uh, problem solving, judgment, emotions, behavior, uh, stuff like that. Okay. So let's move over to the temporal lobe. Next lobe over. Uh, so the temporal lobe, located underneath the temporal bone, has, I mean, it's a, it's a really important lobe. I'd say more important than the frontal lobe, really. Okay, so the temporal lobe is responsible for our memory. It's also responsible for our hearing. Now, that's, that's not as important as memory, of course. Um, but memory... Another sense that it is responsible for interpreting is smell. And that is why smell and memory are so closely connected, because they are processed by the same lobe, the temporal lobe. So there's, there are things that I smell these days that, that kind of pull specific memories out of my head it's like, like I can, I can still remember what certain things smell like 30 years ago. Like that's how closely connected smell and memory are with the temporal lobe. Okay. And I, I'm sure you have some of the same things going on. You, you can smell something that you haven't smelled in years and years and years. And it just brings those memories back when you, when you smell that. Whatever it is, whatever it is. So the temporal lobe, primarily responsible for memory, hearing, and smell, also helps understand language. Uh, it's a, that's an important thing, too. Helps us, I mean, without the temporal lobe, you wouldn't know what I'm saying, right? You would have no idea. I could say whatever I want. I mean, I could say whatever I want right now anyway, but uh, here we are.
Okay. So the temporal lobe. Memory, hearing, smelling, and understanding language. Okay. Let's move over to the parietal lobe. Now, where the temporal lobe processes smell and hearing, the parietal lobe kind of processes every other sense, almost every other sense that we have. Stuff like pain and touch, detecting temperature, um, you know, motor inputs, uh, sensory inputs, just lots of sensory information is processed by the parietal lobe, okay? And that's, I mean, that's essentially it. That's essentially it. Then we're going to move over to the occipital lobe. And there's really only one thing that the occipital lobe does. It is a sense that we have not talked about yet. What sense is processed or interpreted by the occipital lobe? What do you think? Which one haven't we named yet? The occipital lobe is responsible for interpretation of vision, seeing. The optic nerves go from the eyeballs straight back to the occipital lobe. Okay, so I mean that's that's it. That's all the occipital lobe does. That's that's about as easy as it gets, I'd say. So the occipital lobe is vision. The parietal lobe is every other sense. The temporal lobe, hearing and smell and memory. The frontal lobe, our personality, judgment, problem solving. Uh, what else? Uh, I don't know. Speaking, talking, all that fun stuff. So those are the four lobes that make up the cerebrum, the main part of the brain. And again, it's split into a left hemisphere and a right hemisphere. So you have two of each. They are paired. Okay. All right, let's move on to the cerebellum. The cerebellum is responsible for, I mean, not a whole lot. The, the cerebellum is responsible for balance, muscle coordination, and muscle tone. So my easy way to kind of remember the cerebellum is I, th I think of, of course, this is me, uh, you know, I exercise, I lift weights, I work out. So I think about lifting a barbell or a dumbbell, and that gives me muscle tone, and you have to have coordination and balance to be able to do those exercises properly. Otherwise, you're going to hurt yourself. You don't want to hurt yourself. Just don't do it. Okay, so I think of the cerebellum, and I remember barbell or dumbbell giving me muscle tone, and you need coordination and balance to do that. Um, I had one student a long time ago who, who remembered it by thinking of, uh, she, she called it a bell arena instead of a ballerina. Because ballerinas need coordination and balance, of course. Uh, so if that works for you, awesome. If not, uh, well, maybe mine does. If that, if neither of them work for you, uh, I don't know. Figure figure out a way to remember that. Okay. Um, 
Then what else do we have? Oh, we have, uh, of course, the last part of the brain, the brain stem. Okay, so the brain stem is divided into three separate parts, okay? So what are the three parts of the brainstem? What do you think? Okay, three parts of the brainstem in descending order. So this is from top to bottom is the midbrain, the pons, and the medulla oblongata. The medulla oblongata is part of the brainstem. Okay, so that is the most inferior portion of the brain, the medulla oblongata. Okay. So what is the midbrain responsible for? What do you think? The midbrain is responsible for a few different things. Um, the the midbrain helps us to. It's it's really important in the reflex process, so it helps control uh, visual reflexes like. Uh, following something with your eye, tracking something, uh, moving the eyes, um, and when like let's say a, a noise startles us, it's kind of, it's our midbrain that that helps create that pathway between our motor response and our sensory response that lets us turn our eyes. Like if something behind us startle us, it would, we would kind of turn our eyes away, uh, maybe turn our head away, cover up. That's all the responsibility of the midbrain. Okay. So really important part of the, of the brain for sure. What about the pons? What does the pons do? The pons is a, it, it's kind of a center where a lot of our cranial nerves emerge from the, from the brainstem, like the trigeminal nerve, the abducens nerve, uh, the facial nerve, and the vestibular cochlear nerve. So each one of those nerves plays a specific role in the function of the body. The trigeminal nerve helps us feel things in the face. It's a pretty big nerve that covers a wide range of the face. Okay. Um, also helps us control the muscles responsible for chewing, like masseter and buccinator, okay, uh, and swallowing as well. Uh, the abducens nerve uh, is is the nerve that lets us move our eyes kind of from side to side, kind of that shifty-eyed thing that some people have going on. I do whenever I'm I'm uh, in certain situations, like hmm, I wonder what's going on here. The facial nerve helps us to, to control facial expressions, so stuff like smiling, um, frowning, um, openly weeping, of course. The facial nerve helps us uh, control those. And if you have Bell's palsy, uh, the facial nerve might be attacked. Usually some sort of virus like the herpes simplex virus would attack the facial nerve and cause it to become paralyzed for maybe a 
just a little bit of time or maybe a longer period of time. Okay? And the vestibular cochlear nerve allows sound to be transmitted from the ear to the brain. So it's really important. The pons is really important. The vestibular cochlear nerve that comes out of the pons is important for helping us hear. So without that nerve, we couldn't hear anything. There'd be nothing sending that sensory information from the ear to the brain itself. Okay. Uh, the pons is also, um, it, it plays a role in breathing as well. Okay. So it, it will determine how intensely a person will breathe. Uh, like if they're breathing really fast and hard or shallow, deep, uh, that's all kind of the responsibility of the pons to determine. Okay. And then we have the medulla oblongata, which is, uh, of course, fun to say. But uh, let's, let's think back to Waterboy, uh, Colonel Sanders, of course. So the medulla oblongata is responsible for uh, motivation, aggression, mood. Um, that's why alligators are ornery. They have all them teeth but no toothbrush. That's actually not what the medulla oblongata does, like I said before. It's more the, uh, the function of the frontal lobe to perform those, uh, of course, our personality. So what does the medulla oblongata do? Well, the medulla oblongata is responsible for all the vital functions of the body, the things that we need to just survive, okay? Stuff like um, blood vessel diameter and, and breathing and swallowing, coughing, sneezing, vomiting, all of those functions are the responsibility of the medulla oblongata. We couldn't do any of that stuff without the medulla oblongata. Okay, So the medulla oblongata is one of the most important parts of the body without it. I mean, without a lot of parts of the body, we wouldn't live, but definitely the medulla oblongata. If you want to survive at the most basic level, uh, medulla oblongata is going to get the job done. Okay. So I think that about wraps it up for the parts of the brain. So again, we got the uh, the cerebrum and all the four lobes, frontal, temporal, parietal, occipital. We have the cerebellum and we have the brainstem. Connecting the two cerebral hemispheres together is the corpus callosum. And that about wraps Oh, you know what I forgot? You know what I forgot. I know what I forgot. Maybe you don't know what I forgot. I forgot the meninges. Of course the meninges. Man, how could I forget the meninges? Okay, the meninges are, are it's kind of a layer of connective tissue that surrounds the brain and provides a little bit of protection for the brain. So like the serous membranes that we have in the chest that surround, like the pericardium and the pleural membrane that surround the heart and the lungs, we don't want the brain just butting right up against the skull. That's going to cause um, damage to the brain. Just think like if you are sending a package, like let's say you're sending a, uh, a, a coffee mug or something in a box. You're not just going to put the coffee mug in the box and ship it out, right? Because it'll break. You have to have some sort of padding around the coffee mug to keep it safe, to keep it from breaking in the mail. 
Right? So that's kind of what the what the meninges do. They provide padding for the brain. So when you do things like, oh, I don't know, if you're if you're playing a sport, playing football or something, um, the helmet also kind of kind of helps protect the brain by providing even more cushion. Uh, but if, if you just hit your head really hard on something, your brain is going to come into contact with your skull. But it's things like the meninges and all the fluid in your skull that help to lessen the impact that the, that the brain might experience. Okay, So we have three layers of meninges that surround the brain. From, uh, from deep to superficial, we'll go in this order, we have the arachnoid. Or, uh, I'm sorry, the pia matter is the deepest layer. Then the arachnoid, or arachnoid matter, some people call it arachnoid matter, I just call it arachnoid, oh, I think most people just call it arachnoid. And then the dura matter, okay? So the pia matter is the layer that comes into contact with the brain, and the pia matter actually extends pretty far into the brain. It goes into the folds of the brain, and that kind of helps protect the brain a bit. It helps kind of hold it in place. You don't you don't want the the uh, pia or the brain kind of flying around inside the head. So it kind of kind of just sticks to it. Kind of tries to hold it in place as much as it possibly can. Of course, there's only so much that it can do, but, um, but you, you get the idea, of course. So the pia matter helps to protect the brain as well by, by cushioning it with cerebrospinal fluid. So it's this fluid that kind of absorbs a lot of the shock that the brain might otherwise experience when it comes into contact with the skull. So it's it's like if you put a I don't know, let's say let's say um, a baseball inside Jello inside of a um, a basketball or something. That's a pretty weird visual, but. Uh, so the baseball would be the brain, the jello surrounding the baseball inside the basketball would be the cerebrospinal fluid, and then the basketball itself would be the skull. Okay, So whenever you dribble that basketball, it's not going to do a whole lot. There's no air in it, but it'll help protect the baseball inside of it because there's fluid in there that absorbs all of the shock that might occur. I hope that makes sense. Uh, I'm just kind of coming up with stuff off the top of my head. Of course, of course. Um, that's, that's kind of similar to what it is, what cerebrospinal fluid is. Uh, just, just think of it as jello that kind of helps absorb the shock that the brain might experience. Okay. So the intermediate layer, so of course the pia matter, pia, by the way, stands for tender, um, translates to tender matter means mother. So it means tender mother. The pia matter is the most delicate layer of the meninges. And that's why it's kind of deeper in there. It's the deepest layer because it's so delicate. Uh, you definitely want to protect that. Okay. So the next, the next layer up the superficial to the pia matter is the arachnoid. Okay. And there's the reason 
it's called the arachnoid is because it kind of resembles cobweb. That the the entire space, um, it kind of looks like spider webs or cobwebs, and that's that's essentially how how a god is named. Just looks like spider webs. Okay, so the space between the pia matter and the arachnoid is called the subarachnoid space below the arachnoid, and it's that space that also contains cerebrospinal fluid. Okay, so that cerebrospinal fluid again helps to cushion the brain uh, when there's there could be impact. You don't, you don't want to damage the brain or anything. Um, so the arachnoid does not extend into the folds of the brain; only the pia matter does. So it kind of just just sits on top of the pia matter, where it it can just kind of do its thing and and hold some cerebral cerebrospinal fluid and, and really help to to cushion and protect the brain. Okay, the most superficial layer of the meninges is called the dura matter. Dura means tough, like durable, and matter of course means mother, so it means tough mother. Of course, tough mother. Um, and, and it is, again, the most superficial, and it is the strongest layer of the meninges. So the dura matter is the layer that will come into contact with the cranium. So you want that layer to be really thick, and as the name implies, you want it to be tough. So it's that layer that kind of kind of absorbs the impact, if you will, when the brain comes into contact with the cranium and, and really helps to protect the brain from damage. Okay. Um trying to think, I'm trying trying to give you a visualization, I guess. Um I don't know. Just uh just just imagine uh, a really thick really thick layer of something around an egg like let's say put a put a an egg which is the brain inside of like a a, a, a leather pouch or something like that so something really thick and tough that will help to protect the brain so we we can kind of go back to that whole visualization thing with the baseball. So the baseball we'll say is the, um, is the brain. Then we got jello surrounding it, the cerebral spinal fluid, and then surrounding that, holding all of that in place. Uh, let's just say a, a leather pouch. And then you put all of that inside the basketball, which is the skull. And that brain should be pretty well protected at that point. Okay. So when somebody experiences a concussion, uh, of some sort, uh, they may lose consciousness. They may not, but the brain is being damaged in some way. That means there is some sort of significant uh, damage or or impact being done to the head that damages the brain because there's all this padding and protection in the skull to protect the brain. And if the brain is still getting damaged, that means there's there's a major impact occurring. So... Uh, concussions, no joke, no joke. You don't want any part of concussions. Let's see. Am I forgetting anything now? I don't think I am. Uh, just thinking off the top of my head. We'll see. I got the cerebrum, the cerebellum, the brainstem, and surrounding all of that, the meninges. And that's it. Yeah, I'm done. Hey, how about that? So that 
ladies and germs, was the brain. I hope that was informational. I hope. I pray. I think it was. I think it was. I may, I may be a little biased, but I think it was. Okay, so I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, question of the week. Welcome back. It is now time for question of the week. Okay, so this week's question is going to deal a lot with medical terminology. And of course, every episode I tell you, uh, you got to know your medical terms. And this is a prime example of why. Okay, here we go. An electroencephalogram measures A, muscle contractions, B, heart rhythm, C, blood pressure, D, brainwave activity. Let's read it again. An electroencephalogram measures A, muscle contractions, B, heart rhythm, C, blood pressure, D, brain wave activity. So what do you think? So again, we have to know our medical terminology to figure this one out. Unless you just, for some reason, know it, you need to be able to break down the term electroencephalogram using medical terminology to figure out the answer, okay? Easiest way to do it, if you know your medical terms, you just eliminate answers. Okay, so let's let's go, we'll just go down the list. A, muscle contractions. Well, if you know the medical term for muscle, you can figure out if this is the answer or not. Because anything that has to do with the muscle would have the term myo in it. Kind of like a myocardial infarction, heart muscle infarction. Okay. Well, I don't see myo anywhere in the term electroencephalogram. So I'm going to eliminate that one. So A, muscle contractions, out of there. Okay. B, heart rhythm. Yeah, what's going to measure heart rhythm? Is there a test that measures heart rhythm? Specifically? There are instruments, of course. Heart rhythm you can measure using a stethoscope. Just by listening. You can figure out if the heart is going crazy or not. Now, anything that has to do with the heart is going to have what term in it? Hmm. Starts with a C. It's going to have the term cardio in it, right? So, electroencephalogram, I don't see cardio anywhere in there, right? So I think I can eliminate that one, too. The test that measures heart rhythm, by the way, an, an electrocardiogram. So an ECG or EKG. Uh, Latin and Greek, one spells it with a C, cardio with a C, one, spe one spells cardio with a K. That's why, that's why there could be a differentiation between um, 
just with the spelling ECG versus EKG, it's the same thing. Just some people prefer one or, or, over the other. You're probably going to see EKG more often than not. Okay, so heart rhythm out of there. That's that's not an EKG. Electroencephalogram. It's not an EKG. Then we got blood pressure and brainwave activity. So we've eliminated two, and now. We're down to, to we have a 50-50 shot of getting it right at this point. So an electroencephalogram measures blood pressure or brainwave activity. What do you think? Blood pressure? Brainwave activity. I can't think of a specific test off the top of my head that specifically measures blood pressure. And if it did, it would probably have some sort of term in it that has to deal with the blood, like hemo, right? What about brainwave activity? Is there a term in an electroencephalogram that coordinates to, the, to brainwave activity? Oh, this is getting a little tricky. Electro, let's see. That would probably refer to some sort of electricity, right? So electricity has to do with, uh, where do we find electricity? In the body. The brain, right? What about encephalo? E-N means inside. Ceph means head. What's inside the head? Encephalo means brain. Whoa, that just kind of gave us our answer, didn't it? So the answer is D, brainwave activity. For sure. An electroencephalogram measures D, brain wave activity. Okay, blood pressure, you can you can use uh, the, the cuff that goes around. I, I, I can't pronounce it. Uh, Sphygmomammonometer. I'm bad at pr pronouncing that. I can spell it. I can spell it for sure. Um, and that measures systolic and diastolic pressure, of course. Uh, but the answer... An electroencephalogram measures brainwave activity. Electro refers to electricity, so uh, that that would be the wave of the brain wave. Uh, encephalo means brain. So even if you just knew that one term, encephalo, none of the other three have anything to do with the brain, so that can give you your answer just right away. Okay, So you wouldn't even have to eliminate the answers. You just go... Straight to the one. I mean, of course, read them all just to be sure, but you don't have to spend a ton of time going, you know, breaking down each one. None of them say brain except for D, brainwave activity, encephalo, match that up with brain. That's your answer. Okay, so that's going to do it for this episode of the MBLEX Test Prep Podcast. Thank you for hanging out so much. I appreciate your time. Uh, I know this is kind of a longer episode. Well, there's a lot that goes into the brain. Story time. Story time did it, of course. Okay, so um, again, if you have purchased any of my study guides, please, please consider leaving a review of those study guides on Amazon.com for me. Uh, I It helps me sell my books, and I want as many students like you to have access to my books as possible, uh, and, and I want everybody to be able to pass using my study guides, and it helps me out a lot. So please go leave a review on Amazon.com. Find my book. 
leave a review for me. I appreciate it. I also am asking, um, you don't have to, of course, just if you can, please consider donating a dollar an episode of the Inblex Test Prep podcast. To do that, just go to inblextestprep.com, click the podcast button at the top. You should see a donate link. Um, I do this completely for free. All I ask is a small donation. Helps me keep the lights on, of course, keep this little operation going that I've got. And I appreciate it. Uh, just like I appreciate you for listening. Uh, so please, if you can spare a dollar, I'd love to I'd love to have your donation. Um, so just head over to mblexttestprep.com, hit the podcast link, and uh, you'll find the donate button for sure. Okay, so until next time, this is David uh, saying, uh, what do I want to say today? Um, Arrivederci! Arrivederci!